Well, hey, friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I am glad that you've downloaded. If you haven't gone out and given us a rating or review in iTunes, we'd appreciate that anytime. Um, friends, today we have with us author, speaker, and teacher, Trisha Lott Williford. Trisha, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you, Eric. I'm delighted to be with you. I am so excited to have this conversation, and uh, I've been listening to uh, your your book, You Can Do This, this week, which is very, very good. You have a style of writing that's just very, um, what's, how, how do people describe it? It's very personal, it's very open, and, uh, and, and it's positive. It's really good. Well, thank you. That is exactly what I've what I've worked toward. I always want my readers to feel like we're friends and to feel like um, when after they've read something that I've written, I just want them to feel like we've had coffee together. Oh, yeah. That totally comes through. That's great. Well, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now. Sure. Well, as you said, I am Trisha Lott Williford, and I am a writer and a speaker and a teacher and a blogger. Um, and I'm currently working on my fourth book that's coming out this summer. It's called Just You Wait. And it's a book about the art of patience. And so maybe we'll talk about that <laughs> later. But um, yeah, I'm still writing books and I also ghostwrite. I write books for other people as well, which is really energizing for me to be able to dive into other people's stories, as you know. Yeah. That is, that's where the life is. And so that's what I do, collecting words and turning them into stories that people can read for life-giving journeys. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I finally became convinced. I spent a lot of years trying to be a teacher, being one of the guys who's up there on the stage telling everybody what to think or do. And uh, finally realized, no, I want to tell stories. Like that's, that's actually, yeah. it's actually as powerful and a good chunk of the Bible's narrative. Well, it absolutely is. And I love how Anne Lamott says that sometimes people are more thirsty for story than they are for a glass of water. Right. Stories are where life happens and it's where life changes. And it's one of my favorite languages that Jesus used because he shared stories and got right into the lives of the people. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. It connects to the heart as much as, as much as anything. Yes. Gets past those barriers. Awesome. Well, okay. So well, I want to dive into your story. So tell us, let's go back. Tell us about, um, you know, your, your childhood. And I know you grew up in, in a Christian family, right? So what what was that like? Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, ridiculously great. It was really great. I was just thinking about that this morning, um, knowing that one of your questions would be, (laughs) um, how did I come to know the Lord? And I really feel like in some ways I was just born loving Jesus. Um, and I think the reason for that, I did have a conversion point and, and, and I will talk about that, but I think the reason for that is in large part because of my dad. I had a really great dad who chased after the Lord. Um, I still have him thankfully. And, uh, he loved me very well and it made me, it made it easy for me to believe that God did too. Um, and so I am, I'm really thankful for those early bricks in the path of my life. Um, so I, I really, I was born just loving Jesus. I have just always wanted a relationship with him. Mm. I remember when I was just three years old, that was actually when I asked Jesus into my heart to use the Christian speak. Yep. Um, and my parents had thought that I was not ready and had tried to delay that decision. Trisha, wait, we need to wait until you're older. Until finally I said to them, do you want me to go to hell? Like, I don't really understand. <laughs> and my, my mom was like, you know, she may have a, you know, kind of a solid basic understanding of theology here. She's understanding what this is about. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Right. So that was when I was three years old. Um, 
And I do remember that it was an important decision to me even then. Uh, but it has morphed and changed throughout the years as I have experienced that the hills and valleys of a faith journey. And I just continue to chase after the Lord every day because that's really where he is, is in this moment. Yeah. So was there a time, so growing up in a Christian house, the big thing really is, okay, eventually that faith has to come become your own and it has to it, it starts, there start to be other decisions that you make about how am I going to follow Jesus? Do you remember a time either, you know, let's say high school or college when you were kind of learning and Jesus became real for you? I do. Um, I feel like that happened for me in early high school. Uh, the reason for that, I think, um, is that I was in a really good youth group. And I think that when you're in those ages of 13, 14, 15, you are starting to uh, question your parents in a lot of ways. Um, I have a 13-year-old and he is questioning everything about me in every way. Um, And that's so natural and it's so important and part of the process. And that's why I think it's so important at that age, especially to have them grounded in a really good faith community, because you want to have other adults in their area and in their sphere of influence that are saying the same things that you're saying and are saying that, um, you know, when you, when as a child, when you want to look outside of your home and then you find people who are saying the same things that your parents are saying, people that you like, people that you respect, people whom you find to be relevant. When you find those people and they're saying, yeah, this is the real deal. This is Jesus. This is why I love him. It then lets it become your own and not just something that your parents have taught you, but now your own decision. Um, and that makes all the difference. Who was that for you? Who was it that you respected and that kind of helped lead you along the way? Oh, what a great question. Um, I mean, do you want their names or do you want me to just it's talk a, about it? It's up to you, but you either way. Sure. Well, I um, I was in a really solid youth group and um, the, it was the youth pastors and their wives and the people mm. who just really poured into me. They were just dynamic people. They still are. And I'm in touch with them. It's one of the great things about Facebook. It can have a lot of downfalls, but one of the pluses <laughs> is that you can be in touch with all the mentors you've ever had, which is awesome. Oh, no joke. So, those people definitely shaped me for sure. Yeah. So I just want to use that as an opportunity to say to our friends, because I'm sure there are youth leaders listening to this show, right? You oh, have yeah, a huge, I hope so. you have a huge impact bigger than, you know, and you probably won't know for a dozen years, right? At least right. it's right. okay. Stick with it because it really is powerful and important and you're planting seeds. You're not harvesting necessarily. Yeah, that's so true. And I think about, um, in the book, You've Got Mail, Kathleen Kelly has this line where she says, when you read a book as a child, it becomes part of you as, mm. in a different way than any book that you'll ever read in the rest of your life. And I think that that's true, especially of youth leaders, that there are um, those times, especially with youth group events and um camp and things like that. It's just like a greenhouse it where the sun can just shine in and so much growth can happen in these places that um, just don't happen in other seasons of your life. Absolutely. So to all the youth pastors out there, keep <laughs> on keeping on. You guys are the church for sure. Right. Right. It can be easy to be cynical about giving your life to Christ every summer, right? At camp. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. But that has a, a tremendous formational impact. So, hey amen. I love the opportunity to just affirm that. Yes. Um, okay. So, so that was a youth group was a really important and solid uh, formational experience for you. Uh, yeah. Eventually, you 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 go off to college and you get you eventually get married. Um, I got married. Yes, very very young. Um, I'm not sure who thought it was a good idea because we were babies on our honeymoon. Yeah. But yes, we married young and had a lot of years to grow up together. So got an early start. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, I understand that because my wife and I were 20 when we got married. Okay. And then within a couple of months, we were 21. And so, like, it, it's uh, now there's research that says you're not really done forming until you're 25. I'm like, oh, okay. Everybody else <laughs> knew that already. And I was eager to get married. Okay. But uh, yeah, so that totally makes sense. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that season of, you know, that being a being a young mom. And I don't know if you guys, did you guys have kids early or what did you? You know what? We waited about five or six years okay. before we had our first son. And so in those first years together, we, we were in Ohio when we met. And then we got to Colorado as fast as we could, which happened around 2003. Um, and then uh, I finished college and I started teaching. I taught third grade and then I taught kindergarten. And then I was home with our two little boys. And um, Tucker was born and then Tyler was born. And I had just this great... Um, great gig that I really thought was everything that I wanted, where I got to be at home with my boys and I got to be um, just hands-on in their lives every day. And all of a sudden I discovered that I had been an extroverted person and I I was now living in a very introverted life, Mm. very routinized. And I loved spontaneity and um, it seemed like it was all gone. I was all on a preschooler schedule and reading board books every day. And every day of my life just felt like, oh my goodness, where did all the thinking go? I miss doing things that stay finished. So (laughs) in that that season, I started blogging and I started this blog um, that just was going to be a creative outlet for me. And when my boys were sleeping, I would sit down and write and it just became such a lifeline Mm. for me. Um, and so that's, that's, those were my early years. Yeah. So I was interested in that because, um, you know, was, were, did you always want to be an author? Did you always want to write? You know what? I, I did. I, I was a teacher by trade. I wanted to be a teacher always. And, but I loved writing. I have a minor in creative writing um, and had just chased after that. And Rob used to say, she's going to be an author and a speaker and I'm going to retire early. <laughs> nice. And, So we did not know that that actually is exactly what happened, that um, Uh, I'm just going to dive into the heartbreak of the story. Are you good with that, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, Rob was uh, 35 and I was 31 and our boys were five years old and three years old. And um, he got really sick really fast. And I love that I knew you in that season of our lives. Yeah, just barely. Like, I feel like we were just yeah. starting to to get to know each other just a little. I, I knew Rob um, just barely. Like, I would enough to say hi to him in the hallway at church and, and was right. ho- looking forward to some opportunity to hang out. Yes, yes. Well, he was taken from us very quickly. He was just sick for 12 hours. And um, the doctors thought that he had the flu, but he actually had an infection in his bloodstream that attacked his heart and his lungs. And they said to us, they said, he won't die from this, but he's going to feel like it. And they sent us home from the hospital and he died the next morning from sepsis that we did not know that he had. So that was two days before Christmas and the bottom fell out of the world for me. And I was a single widowed mom uh, of two little boys who were not yet in kindergarten. Everything fell apart. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to know about what this, what that experience was like. Obviously, that was very difficult, very hard. What was it like with God? Like, what? How did that? How did that go? Well, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions for God, and I felt like, why did you think this was a good idea? Hmm. Um, 
why, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? How am I supposed to do this now? And I did not know how to talk to God for a little while there. I didn't want to. Mm. Um, And the sovereignty hand was a really, um, the sovereignty card was a really difficult hand to hold, to believe that God was good and faithful and for us. And yet he took this very young and healthy man who had given his life to the Lord and was active in ministry and had these two little boys and a wife that he loved. And he's, he was gone so suddenly. So Eric, what I did, um, my world got very small and I was, I, um, had gone for, I mentioned before that I was an extrovert and suddenly I was riddled with anxiety and an introvert and I needed to be home and I needed acres of margin in my day. And I was very agoraphobic. I was afraid of the world. If the worst thing in the world that could ever happen had come into my home, then I just felt like nothing was safe and nobody was safe and sunshine felt overwhelming to me. And the only place that I could go was Starbucks. That was the only thing that felt um, familiar. And I have since learned that that's true of the Starbucks community, that that's mm. the reason why they keep their menu consistent and their environment consistent. And throughout the nation, when there's some kind of a crisis, they try to get a Starbucks open fast because you can count on Starbucks to be the same. Wow. That's, time. So, that's powerful. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. So that's what I found that the one place that I could count on that my drink would always taste the same and it would smell the same inside the store. And um, I could just count on the routine of it was to go to Starbucks. So I took, I took my journal and my Bible and um, I got a salted caramel mocha and I sat at that corner table and I started copying the book of Psalms. And I did that because I did not know how to speak to the Lord. I did not know how to ask the questions that I had, and I didn't know how to pray. Um, it just felt all very vulnerable and very exposed for me. So I began copying the Psalms, and I just started at the beginning, and I would write until something made sense to me, until something grabbed my attention that I could just think on and and let that be my token of the day. But I continued to copy the Psalms, and here's what I learned, Eric, is that um, all of the emotions are covered in that book of the Bible. Mm. Yeah. They're all represented. Um, joy and sadness and questions and anger, mm-hmm. um, even animosity and defeat and hurt my enemies and break their knees. Like David was real. He was real before the Lord and all of his friends were as well. And I discovered in that time, um, especially Psalm 88 is one of my favorites from that season because um, it's just pure anguish. It does not finish with uh, resolution. It doesn't finish with it, but I will glorify the Lord. Um, it doesn't finish with anything that says, but it, this is okay with me and I'm trusting. It literally finishes with a phrase that's something like, um, my skin is like pot shards, break my skin, pour ashes on my head. This is the worst. I would rather die. And that is how I felt in that dark season. Um, and what I loved wow. about that is that that Psalm made the final cut into the manuscripts that we have carried with us for thousands of years now. And having now become an author, I, I know how intense that process is of editing and certainly canonizing the Bible was more intense than that. And Psalm 88 made the cut and showed me in that dark season that um, the Lord allowed this part of his his letter to us to remind us that we are allowed to feel the way that we feel. And I was encountered um, with the truth that 
that if I believe that he is God, if this faith is mine, and if I'm going to continue hand in hand with the Savior I have believed in all of my life, and if I believe that he made me, then I have to believe that he made my emotions as well. And there isn't anything that I'm feeling that surprises him. Oh, and amen. So I, I continued that process and just kept writing the Psalms until I learned how to talk to him myself again. Yeah, amen. Friends, if you um, you know, struggle with believing that even your emotions are from the Lord, you are made in his image. So not only does he feel he feels emotions. I mean, I'm I'm reading Jeremiah right now, and I'm just overcome with, with when God says things like, "I'm heartbroken." You know, we think of God in the Old Testament sometimes as being, "Oh, he's eager to punish." And he says, "I'm heartbroken over this." Like, wow. Yeah. He if he feels that way, we can feel that way, and yes. when we do, it's a reflection of his glory and his eternity, and uh, we we um, we can go there. So I love that you found that in the Psalms. The Psalms is such a beautiful place to. To dig in, Psalm eighty-eight is the one that doesn't end happy, and it right. just kind of lets us lets us sit in that. And God can do that. Yeah, he, can do that. he lets us. Right. He yeah. lets us. He gives us. I think about um, in the Beatitudes where it says, um, "God blesses those who mourn," mm-hmm. because He gives us the space to do that, and He understands the depth of that emotion more than we even understand the depth of that emotion, and He doesn't rush us through it. Right. Yeah. It's a process. And so you had to go through that whole thing as a process. How long did that take for you? I mean, obviously it's, you're going to, you're always in it, but like, what, how, how, what was that like? Tell us about that. Well, in some ways it's ongoing, as you said. Um, and, but I would say I, I have learned that the timeline really was two years. Okay. Um, I feel like it was two years of winter when I look back on that season, the first year was really to just make sense of this new reality, to really just get through one calendar year and to see Valentine's Day coming and to see our anniversary coming. Um, I had what I called like big holidays and little holidays, big holidays being the ones that everybody celebrates and the little ones being like the ones that were just important to Rob and me, that nobody else knows in the world that my heart is hurting today as I try to navigate this memory and this time without him. Um, So the first year was for my head to begin to make sense of it. And then the second year was for my heart to begin to feel again. And in some ways that second year was harder um, because I I did begin to feel and um, frostbite doesn't hurt when you're frozen. Mm. It hurts when, when you begin to thaw and when those nerve endings come alive again. And one of the greatest graces of God is the ways that he numbs our soul and the way that he numbs us from the greatest pain. Um, That's his grace and his presence. And he just begins to kind of allow us to feel things one degree at a time so that we don't have to feel it all at once. So sometimes that happened a lot in that second year. So when I look back on that timeline, um, yeah, it was two years of just being conscious of the moment. That was all I knew to do. Just be conscious of where I am and get through the next thing. Everything was a victory. Every moment was a victory. Wow. Yeah. So that's an insight that you can only know by having experienced it. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. One of the great graces mm-hmm. of, of God is that he numbs us. Okay. So you're going through that, that period. You, were you, uh, so obviously you went through all the emotions with God. How did you end up starting to reconcile that or speak to him again besides is there anything besides the psalms like did you start to did that start to change your relationship with him 
Well, the Psalms really gave me liberty. Mm. The Psalms gave me liberty to do that. And they, they helped me to find my language again. Um, and I learned to borrow their words when I couldn't find my own. Um, I also learned to lean into uh, music, that there were sometimes lyrics that and lyrics and melodies that could represent the bereavement of my soul. Um, and then I learned really just the beauty of lament um, and how the Lord just allows it and, and sits in that space with us. So I really was very gentle with myself in that time. I was gentle with my process. Um, and I trusted the Lord to be patient with me too, because I, I kind of just kept putting it back in his hands. Yeah. <laughs> kind of just kept saying, this was your idea. This was your idea. If I am to believe that you are a sovereign God and that you were in charge of all of this, then you're going to have to be the one to show up now because I cannot bridge this gap between us. Yeah. And I was gentle and patient with myself and, um, he did. He showed up. He continued to be. So I would wake up in the morning and um, even still, this is a practice that I have to say, I always face the, face the window where the sun is shining into my room and say, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my hope in you. And it's a reminder every day that as the sun comes up, it's new mercies and it's a new day. And it's the day that God has given us and he's in it and he's with us in this space. So I just was really patient with myself and tried to be patient with the Lord for him to put my pieces back together. Awesome. Uh, I'm interested because you talk about being a modern day psalmist. Does that, does that come from, from this time? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Of learning how to take those words and make them my own, learning how to pattern my prayers after the Psalms, Um, even learning from a creative writing perspective that I can take those Psalms and let them be the seed of something brand new that I want to say Mm. before the Lord, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and to enter his courts with praise and to look at um, the Psalm that says his love endures forever to be able to list all the things that I'm thinking and feeling and all the events that are going on in my life for better and for worse, and to be reminded that his love endures forever. So Mm -hmm. my journals really do bind the pages of my life. They carry every emotion and um, they are filled with modern day Psalms for sure. Mm, I love that. Okay. So uh, eventually you ended up working at Starbucks. I did. (laughs) Yes. I did end up working at Starbucks. Um, My older son, Tucker, uh, had been in an accident and um, he needed to have reconstructive surgery on his foot, which if ever I felt like, God, could you just throw me a bone? Like I had been a single mom at that point for almost five years. And now I've got this kid who has this major surgery and tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And so I, I finally, after being at Starbucks all this time and doing all my writing there, I then had a couple of books that I'd written and Starbucks had been my writing studio. I finally came to them and said, listen, can I have a green apron? Can I step (laughs) behind the counter? Can I join this dance of lattes that you have happening back here? So I did, I started, uh, I started working there and, um, through that, uh, the Lord gave me my favorite miracle of my life, um, that a few weeks after I started that job, this very handsome man came into Starbucks. His name is Peter. And, um, I poured his coffee and he liked the coffee and the girl who poured it. And he kept coming (laughs) back and, um, he came back and came back and came back and we started dating. And a few months later he proposed at that same Starbucks. So I am married for the second time. 
the Lord has brought redemption and healing, and he has turned those years of misery into um, mornings of dancing, which yeah. is joyful for me. So I am married and so happy, and it all started over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, so Starbucks is powerful, not just to get you up in the morning, <laughs> but God will use it for a lot of other things. Friends, I don't know if you you can't see this, but I'm looking at Trisha, and I'm just watching the joy on her face, and it's incredible <laughs> um, just to see she— um, you know, it's interesting how God, how God does that. You tell that story and you can do this, how, how people or how he proposed, but just how that relationship kind of, kind of developed. And, um, you know, it sounds like it was very, very healing for you as well. It was very healing for me. I, um, that's such a great question because I really had felt, I mean, I, by the time I met Peter, I had been, um, Rob had been gone for five years and I had really just kind of put the wheels back on this tricycle and we're going to figure out how to do this together. And so I felt like, um, I'm just going to raise these boys. I'm going to raise these boys because my mantra became, I would rather do it alone than do it wrong. And I was not willing to let someone into their lives who was going to be temporary, who could break our hearts all over again. And so I just was kind of on a 12-year plan. Let me get these boys raised and I'll get them in school in college and into adulthood. And then we'll see if the Lord has any companionship for me. Because, Eric, here's what I know. Single parent dating is a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Second marriage dating is a whole different thing. Everything that's happening out there is entirely different than it was back when I was 19 and in the dating world. Everything is entirely different. And it's exhausting when it's going well. (laughs) And so I just could not afford the train wreck of the distraction of a relationship that wasn't going well. And so I just had given it, just put it all on the shelf. We might address this in a few years and got this job at Starbucks, certainly not to meet a husband, but to get these bills paid. And when Peter came along, um, he, Peter didn't know anything about my story. And there's a lot of it out there in the world with the thousands of blog posts that hold my entire heart. And then um, several books now that I've written, there just was a lot. And in the dating world, that kind of felt intimidating because sometimes people would come Um, And want to have dinner with me thinking that it would be really romantic to have known everything about me already. And (laughs) that's actually a little creepy. Yeah. (laughs) I would feel like, hey, can I read 400 of your personal essays for the next time we get together? (laughs) (laughs) I just knew that there was no way that I would be able to close that gap and ever catch up to everything that they knew. And so to be with Peter um, on our first conversation, when I joined him for a cup of coffee on the other side of the counter, and he said, tell me your story. And I said, it's a sad one, but it's a good one. I would love to tell you this story. And it was so attractive to me that he didn't, he didn't know. And we could start on from ground zero together. Um, And as Peter got to know me, um, he also chased after my heart and after the hearts of my children. And um, he said to me, um, I really, I want to be a steward of everything you've already started. I want to step into this life with you. I want to um, help your men understand that, that in the next 10 years, they can become equipped with everything they need. And I want to join you. I want to woo. He said, if you'll give me the chance, I want to woo this maiden. And I'll tell you what, I just, you could have popped me right up off the floor. That is a great line right there. Yeah. I tell you what, the way you describe it, he sounds very wise. 
<laughs> he is a man of wisdom. And the beauty of it is that it wasn't just a line. It was genuinely what he wanted. Right. And so he chased after each of us and certainly um, chased after my heart. But um, I remember the night that he sat, he sat down with my boys and they were eight and 10 at the time. And he said, guys, I like your mom. Like, I like, I like, like your mom. <laughs> and I'd like to spend some more time with her. How do you feel about that? And my older son, Tuck, said, well, I have four rules for anyone who wants to date my mom, which was interesting because he'd never met anyone who had dated his mom. But he had been waiting for this moment. He said, I have four rules. The first rule is you have to love God. The second rule is you have to love my mom and you cannot hurt her. The third one is you have to love us because we're a package deal. And if you want her, we come with her. And the fourth rule is, will you throw a football with me? Wow. And Peter said, I'm four for four. I would love to do that. And Peter explained to him um, that he said, I, I understand the heart behind all those questions. He said, I had a dad when I was growing up, but he wasn't around as much as I wanted him to be. And I know what it's like to look out in the audience and realize that um, you don't have your dad there to be watching you. So I want to be the guy at your football games. I want to be the guy um, to my younger son, who's an artist and an actor. I want to be the guy at your shows who shows up to be the one for you. And he just has chased after us. I mean, honestly, Eric, if I had written before the Lord, a list of all the things that Peter is to us, it would have seemed selfish. It would have seemed like a list of like, goodness, this is pie in the sky. Are you kidding? There isn't a person who could be all these things to all three of us. And Peter is not our savior. Um, Jesus is our savior. But by chasing after him, the Lord allowed the healing that made the space for Peter to come in and love us just extravagantly. Yeah. Well, there's so. something really beautiful to see that the Lord has given you exactly the person that you need, person that your yeah. boys need, has some experience that can relate to them. Um, and, and the wisdom to to speak with them, you know, in a, in a way that they need and to know what they need. Uh, like that's, that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's beautiful. Like that's like, God, absolutely. Lord. Wow. You're so good. Right. <laughs> so kind and so generous. And he goes before us, he goes before yeah. us and he knows the things we need before we even know. Right. Okay. So friends listening, you know, if you're in a situation where you aren't sure if the Lord will provide for you, if you don't even think he knows what you need, I promise you he does. And I promise you, you don't have to beg. You just have to ask. So ask him, ask him and trust him. Um, you know, I can think of a million times when I've, when I've prayed things that I just thought were, were, you know, never going to happen. And then mm. you know, even today, this morning I prayed, I said, Lord, I need to make some money today. <laughs> and somebody emailed me and said, I'm wondering about putting a spot on your show. Uh, I, wow, right? Literally yeah. within an hour. God does those things. You're, does. So we can trust him. We can trust him with those, with those kind of things. I agree. And I would add to that, um, that our prayers do not have expiration dates. Oh, amen. And that we can pray something so long that we're finally like, oh, he, clearly it's a no. Clearly it's a no, and it may not be a no. It may be that God has said, you know what? I'm so in the works. It's not about you asking. You've made it so clear that this is what you want, but the answer is not prepared yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm stewing up something great for you. And there have been times, I think even of um, Abraham and Sarah or Zachariah and Elizabeth and how they prayed and prayed and prayed for a child. And long after those childbearing years, the Lord said, yep, here's the one I have for you. Here's the child. And 
I think that, um, I think they probably had long stopped praying for that, had yeah. long stopped asking God, but our prayers do not have expiration dates. And there are things that we pray for that he says, oh, I have just the thing for you. It's not going to happen yet. It's not on your timing. It's on mine, but I hear you. And the answer yeah. is yes. Yeah. It's so easy. If you look from when God gave Abraham the promise of a child to when Isaac is born, it's like 20 years. Right. Right. Like it's so long and you can imagine every single day. So I I can't do math. We're not going to do that, but 365 times 20, (laughs) right? It's a lot of days. Yeah. Every day, uh, how that, how he felt through that. And even, you know, for us to have a conversation in a half hour, 45 minutes, you know, it's one thing to go through your story, but this is a five year journey that you went on that, you know, was, was hard to trust the Lord every day. And, you know, there were, there were times that I'm sure you weren't sure he was going to do anything or provide. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There were a lot of dark nights in that long season. Definitely. Yeah. And what I say to people in that season who are struggling with that and who are wondering how much longer will this go on? Um, one of the things that I say is to just simply do the next thing. Just mm-hmm. do the next thing. Just do the next thing that's in front of you. Um, one of the things that's true is that um, someone asked me in that season, they said, Trisha, is suffering scary? And it really gave me, she said, you're, you're living my nightmare. You're living the thing that I'm most afraid of is suffering scary. And you know what I discovered is that um, suffering isn't scary. Worrying is scary. Suffering, suffering is simply the moment that you're in and it's just what you happen to be doing right now. Um, But it's not scary um, because it's just what you're doing. Um, but when you enter, when you leave this moment, because that's what worry does, it takes you out of the space that you're in and it puts you in a different one. And Jesus reminds us hundreds of times to not be afraid and to not worry because he's in this moment with us. He's in the suffering with us. He's not in the worry. And he didn't tell us that we wouldn't suffer. Right. He actually said, expect that you will, and I will be in it with you. But he tells us not to worry. The reason is because he's not in that space with us. And I have found lots of moments I was afraid of, but I haven't found any moment that I could not survive. I have not yet found a single moment that I couldn't get through. Um, many that I didn't want to. Many I did not want to do. Many that I thought, I, I cannot believe God is asking me to do this, but none that I couldn't. And I learned that that's, that's, that's the piece of the waiting. That's the beauty of it. The diamond of it is to be just in this moment right now and to simply do what's next. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you can do and it's okay. Yeah, it is okay. okay. It is okay. I think we expect a lot more from ourselves. I know I do. And uh, sometimes just do the next thing and it it compounds things, things compound over time. So, wow. Okay. So you mentioned that you have a new book coming out. Just you wait this this summer. Tell us about that. Like what, what's going on there? What, what are you writing about patience? It sounds like. Yes, it's a book about patience. And um, one of the things that I love about this book, well, it, it kind of dives into uh, the art of, of being patient, the art of believing that God is for you, even if you cannot see what he is doing. And so the book kind of um, breaks down in a conversational way, like we're talking over coffee, as you and I said, mm-hmm. um, breaks down the three parts of waiting and there, I discovered there's really three different pieces to it. The first is um, a sense of longing when you realize that you want something, but you can't have it yet. And you're separated from what you really want. And then you enter a season of becoming. And in that season, that's when um, 
that changes are happening. That's when things are, that's when the baby is growing before you even know, not you, but before a woman knows that she's pregnant. Um, there's, by the time she finds out that she's pregnant, there's already a spinal cord and the start of a brain. And there's a solid start in there of things that she could not have known about because she didn't know what was happening. And so in that season of becoming, that's when the roots dig down into the soil. That's when things begin to happen that we cannot see. And that's when God is networking on our behalf and he's making changes and paving a road that we just simply cannot see yet. Um, also in that time of becoming, sometimes we become someone different and realize that what we thought we were longing for isn't something that we need at all. And we open our hands. Mm-hmm. And the third stage after the becoming, after the longing, after the becoming comes the awakening. And in the awakening, that's when we suddenly arrive at this new place. The sun comes out. What we've been waiting for all along becomes ours. And we realize several things in that space. Um, one, that, that God really was at work all along in ways that we could not have, have imagined. We see all the things that he was doing and we awaken to the fact that he was with us all along. But sometimes we awaken to the fact that, oh, the answer is no, I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get this thing that I've been waiting for. This isn't going to happen. And I am okay. Mm. And God is still good. And it is still okay. So it's the book about um, just you wait and see. It kind of has three levels to it. Just you wait and see um, how great this is going to be when I come out of this. That waiting can be intentional. It can be glorious. It can be a time for preparing yourself and studying so that when your time comes, you can burst forth out of a cannon and say, oh my goodness, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to shine because just you wait and see what I've been doing this entire time while I was waiting. Oh yeah. Amen. All right, so I'll tell you a story about how I learned this or how, how I see that going in my life. Okay. Uh, so I did customer service on the phone for 10 years. I mean, that's too long. That's a long oh. time to do customer service on the phone. That's painful. It is. Oh. And then some, sometimes it was, uh, you know, helping in like a help desk. So I was helping the reps who were talking to clients. But still, it was a long time to do that. But I, and I had no idea. I was like, oh, this is, you know, I don't like it. I want to get out of there. And eventually I did. But today... One of the things I realized I learned during that period was I learned how to ask a question and listen okay. to the answer, right? And right. so today I use that exact same skill to do a podcast, to to ask some questions, to try to dig a little deeper, like, okay, there's something else there that I need to know about. And there's an intuition to that that I never would have had if I didn't spend mm. 10 years just asking questions. And so, he, and then, it, you know, when I started the show, it, it kind of... Blossom. And I think it took me like a year and a half before I finally figured out, oh, this is the same thing that I'm <laughs> do- I was doing. Interesting. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's right. So you have that, you have that longing and then you have, you become. Yes, you yeah. do. You do. Interesting. So that's, that's what it's about. One of my favorite things about this book is that it tells a lot of Peter's story. Um, oh, good. And uh, when, when Peter happened into our lives and the Lord gave him to us, um, as I mentioned, so much of my story was already public. And so there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, good. Now tell us all about this guy. But Peter's oh. story is his story. And um, it was not mine to tell. And as he and I were discussing this and I was thinking through the things about this, about the longing and the becoming and the awakening. And he said, you know what? I don't agree. That's and and I just felt like he blew my thesis apart. Like, wow. what do you mean you don't agree? This was a three point outline, and they all end in ing, and it's perfect and poetic. And how how can this be? 
And um, so he began to unpack for me a story um, that I already knew, but as we unpacked it together um, about addiction and alcoholism and what that looks like, the waiting on that side yeah. uh, is, is a whole different thing. And so this story really dives into um, that part of his story of his own healing, of him waiting for the Lord and realizing that God was waiting for him. Wow. That's powerful. Well, I love it. I can't wait to hear that. Um, so how do you look at, like, I, I think what you do is so powerful, but I want to hear more about like, cause you, you share your story, but then you don't just let it be something that happened to you. You, you take it in a way that, um, you pull out the principle and you pull out the kind of like, okay, what can I learn about God that you, that I can share with you? That's helpful. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, how do you look at that? Or tell us a little bit about kind of how you learned to do that. That's a great question. Um, I think that I practice the discipline of the reflective life. And that calls for a lot of margin. It calls for being still with your moments. It calls for um, being still in your moments and to be aware of what's going on. And when your life is very full and when you're running from one thing to another and when it's filled with um, so many people like a full closet that you can't even pick out what you want to wear because there's so very many choices in here. Sometimes our lives can become that way. It's just filled with so much stuff and things and people and events and places to run around to. And that um, keeps us from thinking. And it can be very, um, it can be very numbing in a good way or in a bad way. And what I've learned is that I need a daily practice every day of just being present, being present with what's happening in my life, um, thinking it through. And I'm very, very prayerful. I'm very prayerful to ask the Lord to show me what he's teaching me in this moment. And he continues to do that. He continues to show up, as I mentioned, it's quite a theme in my life and in our conversation today, um, to journal and to be present. And there's a really powerful process that happens when you put the pen to the page and you start writing about what has happened or what you're thinking through. Things emerge in that moment. And so when that happens, I um, polish it and think it through and decide what I want to share with the world. Some of it is too sacred to share and some of it is too broken to share. I have a rule of my own that um, I don't talk about it unless it's healed. And unless my therapist and I have discussed it from every angle and have agreed together that this is something that has a beginning and a middle and an end, and I don't need anything from the reader, I cannot put Mm. something out there. If I need something from the reader, it's not ready to be given. And so I don't, I'll hold it carefully until I, I know where I stand on this. I know what the Bible says about this. I know the peace that I have about this and I can give this away and allow the reader to draw their own conclusions and it will be okay. Oh, that's so wise. I was wondering about that as I was listening to, uh, you can do this because you're, you're pretty vulnerable in there. And I was thinking, wow, okay, that's what, what does it take to get to a place where that is? So I think that key of, I don't need anything from the reader, right? It's okay. It's okay. Take it. And I don't need any kind of affirmation because I think I would be like, I want you to tell me I'm, I'm good now or whatever, you know, like there'd be kind of a, sure. There's, well, there can be other motives. That, what did you say? I said there can be other motives that you may not even be aware of, you know, for oh, me. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. And, and, um, there can be, Brené Brown talks a lot about this, about the art of vulnerability mm-hmm. and putting your story out there. And I've learned a lot from her. Um, 
But if I need the reader to say that it's okay, or if I need the reader to hear my side of the story, or if I need the reader to click on it and share it, um, or to bring, to share this with their community or to bring the readers to me, I just, you really should never need anything from your reader because that's when it becomes a codependent relationship and it's far too dangerous for everybody involved. And so that's my rule. Yeah, that's super powerful. Okay. Trisha, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, it was everything I'd hoped for. And uh, I'm so glad to make the connection with you. What do you want to leave us with? Anything you want to just leave us with here as we wrap up? Oh, what a great question. What do I want to leave you with? Um, I would love to encourage you and everyone listening to be present in the moment and to not be afraid to stop and pause and feel what you feel and to let yourself feel that emotion, whatever it is. If you're in a season of darkness and suddenly you feel like laughing, but that feels like a guilt-induced emotion and you feel like, gosh, I should apologize. I, I, this is a sad time. I, I shouldn't be laughing. You know what? It's okay to take a day off of grief and to feel how you feel. And the opposite is true. If you're in a happy season, but something in your heart feels dark, and you feel like you need to apologize for that. Um, I just don't feel like we need to apologize for our emotions in general. They are not right or wrong. They simply are. It's what we do with them that um, is, is the important piece. And so feel how you feel. Be in your moment. Be in your moment, whether you're in the waiting or in the awakening. Um, be where you are. Yeah, feel how you feel. And I think God can handle it. It's okay. It is okay. A, That's right. Amen. Friends, you can find Trisha at trishalotwilliford.com. I'll have links to both her website and um, her Facebook page in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com, as well as a link to Amazon where you can pre-order Just You Wait. And uh, if you're listening to this after, when is it, July it comes out? If you're listening to this uh, after that, then um, you can pick. just go out to Amazon and pick it up. All right, Eric, thank you so much for what you're doing. I love your voice in the world and you're doing awesome things. Thanks, Trisha. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. You bet. 